morning, Milton Bible Church. It's great to be together online, and uh, it's great to worship God. It's great to dig into God's Word, and it's great just to be a family together. Even though we're in many different homes, many different places, we're still together as one church family. Before we get into God's Word, I just want to mention something about our Christmas offering this year. We're calling it our Christmas Gift Campaign. You know, as you know, each year at Mountain Bible Church, we take up a special offering during the month of December. And this year, that offering has a pretty lofty goal. Our desire, or our goal for our giving this Christmas is $100,000. And our vision for that money is towards communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ and reaching out effectively in our community. And so how that $100,000 will be uh, used is this. It will be split, divided into two uh, equally, two equal pieces. 50% will go towards new Milton Bible Church outreach initiatives in our community. What we found is that there is just a growing need in our community for healing, for encouragement, for comfort, for dealing with mental health issues, for newcomers that are coming into our country. Uh, And there's just a number of things happening that are unprecedented, as you've often heard that word, that have, have created unique needs. And so we want to respond to that, and we want to create some new initiatives that we haven't done before. But not only will these new initiatives be created as a response to COVID-19, uh, but also there'll be initiatives that we can continue going into the future. The other 50% of the offering will be given to, uh, will be designated, uh, that will be given, will be designated towards um, worship and media equipment. And the desire there, once again, is to reach out with the love of Christ and to clearly communicate the gospel. As many of you know, much of our equipment around Milton Bible Church is quite outdated, and uh, we need to upgrade some things. But we also understand that our online presence is being very effective in reaching people for Christ. And so we need to invest in that, and we want to invest in that. And so, Lord willing, you're going to see in the days ahead some really positive and exciting things happening in that area. But it all comes under the umbrella of reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Christmas gift campaign is all about. And what I want to do right now is just kind of thank our NBC family. Because over the years, you have really stuck with us. And you have believed in the vision that we have to be a kingdom church a church that blesses our community, that has really a big perspective of what God has called us to. And as a result of that, over the years, we have had two um, uh, facility campaigns, two buildings, one that we've been able to build from scratch, another that we've been able to purchase and refurbish. And you guys have been a part of that as God has seen fit to grow the church. The other thing that, another thing that we've seen, just to give you an example of a kingdom thinking, is uh, our Food for Life ministry, it, which is now the, bit, the largest, we are now the largest food distribution center um, north of uh, Dundas Street in the Halton region and, and in the surrounding area. And it's just as if God has had his favor upon that. 
And, uh, and, but that's a kingdom thing. That is for the whole community. Another thing that you probably don't know about is really how successful our youth ministry is. With Pastor Jordan Hardenham leaning, what leading, what has happened is our youth ministry not only ministers to our uh, Milton Bible Church kids, but almost half the kids that come, come from other churches or they come from the community. And it's the biggest youth group in the area. And it really is meeting the spiritual, emotional, relational needs of young people. And we don't say, oh, you don't come to our church so you can't come. No, you know what? We've got a kingdom vision. The kingdom of God is bigger than Milton Bible Church. And so we want to invest in that. And that's our heart, to be a kingdom people. And so I, I just would ask you to get on board once again and give generously, give sacrificially, as unto the Lord, as the scripture says, and we will see what God will do in the days ahead. These are very exciting days, and I am just very thankful that you, Mountain Bible Church, have continued to grasp a hold of the vision and believe in what God is doing here. Let me ask you a question as we, be, as we start. Have you ever done something or been involved in something, and you say to yourself, something is missing? Something is missing. There's a missing piece here. Maybe you sat down at the table and you've kind of put a fork into a piece of chocolate cake. You put it into your mouth and you go, you say to yourself, yuck. There is an ingredient missing in this cake. Or maybe you're one of those people that makes puzzles and you've put this crazy puzzle together and it's a thousand pieces. And you look and you've got three pieces left and you go to finish the puzzle and you find you have four holes. It's kind of frustrating. Or maybe you're sitting around and you're hearing a story and you're listening to someone tell a story and something in your mind is saying there's a missing piece of information here because this story is not quite adding up. And you're afraid to kind of respond or to give comment because you think that's not the whole story. Something is missing. Well, today we're going to look at a story with a piece of missing information. We're continuing our series today called Seeing Jesus Clearly uh, from Mark chapter 8 and 9. And a bit of the background, we've been looking at uh, this, uh, these two chapters of Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9. Next week we'll finish up. But the first seven chapters of the book of Mark our kind of nonstop action. Jesus chooses his disciples. He, uh, we see healings. We see teaching with authority. We see the kingdom of God coming in power. We see one thing after another happening in just absolutely amazing and creative ways. And then in Mark chapter 8, it's as if the Holy Spirit just says, stop. And he puts the brakes on what is happening in the first seven chapters. And in Mark chapter 8, what begins to happen is Jesus begins to focus on his disciples and he begins to try to get them to see him clearly try to understand the gospel and what is about to happen and he tries to get them to know uh, how to be prepared to move the kingdom of God forward in power and over the last two weeks we've looked at Jesus taking his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountain. And it's up to the mountain where Jesus is transfigured. And then last week, uh, Jordan Harnum talked about 
coming down the mountain, Jesus is discussing with his disciples the necessity that he must suffer, be rejected of men, die and, and be raised three days for the glory of God, for the salvation of the world. And they're talking about this as they come down from the mountain. It's on the mountain where Jesus reveals himself fully in all of his deity. It's up on the mountain where the glory of God is beheld when Jesus shines brightly, when he is joined by Moses and Elijah, two of the great saints of the Old Testament, where the Father announces from heaven, this is my son on who, whom, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And what happens in those moments is the glory of God is revealed. And Peter, what he does is he says this, I'm paraphrasing, he says, this is so cool. Jesus, let us build three tents, three huts, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and we're going to stay on the mountain because this is absolutely incredible. And what Jesus does is he says to Peter, no, no, no. Do you know what? We are not meant to live on the mountaintop. Because it is in the valleys is where people's hurts and pain and hang-ups and people who need to be set free from their sin and find salvation in Jesus Christ. That's where they live. And you know what? It is good to go up on the mountain, isn't it? It is good to have experiences with God in which we fully see the deity of Christ, Jesus in all his majesty. And it's there that we get what we need. But it is, what, but it is there that we take what we need and we come down the mountain and we help those who are needy. Maybe those who are hungry. Maybe those who are homeless. Maybe those who need to see a family relationship restored, maybe those who have not yet received Jesus as Savior. It's good to go up on the mountain, but God calls us from the mountain into the valley. Or it could be like in our story this week, a man whose son is possessed by a demon. And you know what? Sundays are for the mountaintop. They're for worshiping. They're, for, they're, they're there for seeing his glory. To be overwhelmed by his greatness. To see him clearly. But do you know what? This afternoon, tomorrow, this week, God calls us to take what we've received on the mountain and to take it into our neighborhoods and to take it into our schools and to take it into our, our workplaces the grace of God, the love of God, which is so desperately needed in our culture and in our communities. It's the good news of the gospel. And you know, Sundays, I kind of look at this as the halftime talk, the halftime talk, where we need to get refocused on what we need to do as God's people to make an impact. Because our desire and our vision at Milton Bible Church is to make disciples and to transform lives. 
And that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. And that's what he does for these chapters. He's trying to get his disciples to understand this is who we need to be and this is how we need to do things and this is what we need to be equipped with in order to be the kingdom people of God. So in your Bible, let's turn to Mark chapter 9. And what we're going to do is, is uh, something a little different. What's going to happen is there's three paragraphs there. I'm going to read the first paragraph, make some comments. going to read the second paragraph, make a few more comments. going to ask you whether you're still awake or not after the second paragraph. And then we're going to look at the third paragraph, make a couple of comments. And then at the end, I just want to make two statements, two things that perhaps you can hang on to as you take into the week. Uh, two things that you can really grab a hold of as you walk into the valley this week. So paragraph number one, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 19. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 19, paragraph number one, this is what it says. It says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to, ran up to him and greeted him. And when he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he, this is Jesus, he answered them, Oh, you faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So here we have a picture. It's a picture of a father. He is hurting. He is desperate. He is distraught. And he comes to Jesus and to his disciples with his son. His son has a demonic spirit. And this father needs help. So, he's, so he comes looking for Jesus. Can you feel the pain of this father? His son has been possessed by a demon for many years. And when a demonic episode comes, the son can't speak. He's thrown on the ground. And the father is helpless to intervene. And what we're going to see in the next few verses is that this situation is even much worse than that. I don't know how you feel when you hear the sound of an amber alert going off on your phone or on the TV. You know, whenever I hear that sound of an amber alert uh, warning, my heart just skips a beat. And I just send a prayer up to God, Lord, protect that child, protect that family. Lord, you know, move in, a, in, in such a way to help people find that missing child. It's a desperate time. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but that's, you know, my heart just, something inside just kind of seizes up. Well, this father, he is helpless. And you know what? There is no medication for demon possession. You know, oftentimes when I see stories like these in the Bible or I hear about these kinds of things happening in our culture, I always try to ask three questions, three questions that are really helpful. The first question is, is this. Um, is, there a, is there a physical explanation? 
Like, is this a natural phenomena? Is this something that, that you know, you can meet a need and, and, and it would be a great help? You know, I always ask, is this, uh, is there a physical explanation? Secondly, I ask, is there a psychological explanation? You know, is this an emotional thing? Is this a mental health issue? And there's nothing wrong with that. And we see the need for meeting the needs of mental health issues growing more and more in our culture during these days of COVID-19. They're so very real. And there's nothing to be ashamed of in having those issues. And, and, and it is good to reach out in times of trouble for, to people who will help and come alongside you without judgment. And the third question is this. Is there a supernatural or a demonic explanation? Do you know what I find? I find that there are too many Christians that they jump to number three without first engaging and investigating the first two. You know, and over the years at Milton Bible Church, we have had many situations that have been unusual, some of them even bizarre. And I remember a number of years ago, a man came to us, you know, entered into one of our meetings. He wasn't uh, an attender here, but he came into our meeting and he just had uh, terrible uh, manifestations of, um, of difficulty. And, and many people said, oh, he's demonic or he's this or he's that. And so we pulled him aside and we began to talk with him. And, and, one of the, and as we dug a little deeper, what we found was that, first of all, he'd gone off his medication. Secondly, he hadn't slept for many, many nights. And you know, sleep deprivation can cause you to think in unhealthy ways and to act out really in uh, bizarre, bizarre, bizarre manifestations, bizarre actions. And eventually the police got involved, uh, family got involved, but we were able to stick with him and we were able to help him through that very difficult situation to restore him back to mental health, restore relationship with family, job, and, and we're able to walk with him during that very difficult journey. Do you know, it's good to go through these three explanations when encountering these type of situations. First of all, is there a physical explanation? Is it a natural thing that's happening? Is, is there a psychological explanation? Is there a mental health issue? Is there an emotional issue happening? And then thirdly, is there a supernatural or a demonic explanation for what's happening here? So here we have a man, and he's brought, and he's brought his demon-possessed son to be helped. And Jesus has been up on the mountain with three of his disciples, He's on his way down the mountain to meet with the other nine disciples. And as they come near, they hear an argument happening. And Jesus comes upon this almost unnoticed. And the scripture says they all see Jesus and they run to him. So Jesus asks a question. What are you arguing about? Do You know, just because Jesus asks a question doesn't mean that he doesn't know the answer. You know why Jesus often asked questions? Because he wanted to help people think things through and to think along a certain line, maybe even in a new way. He wants to engage people and get them to really understand the big picture of what God is doing. 
So this man answers the question. I brought my son to your disciples. He needs so much help, and you know what? They could not heal him. And Jesus says something here. He says, how long am I going to live with this? How long am I going to have to put up with a generation that has no faith or very little faith? This man has come to God who desperately needs help. Let's go to the next paragraph. Paragraph number two. Mark chapter 9, verses 20 to 24, and they say this. And they brought the boy to him, and the spirit, that's the demonic spirit, saw him. And immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. So what we find is this man who comes to Jesus, he's brokenhearted. He brings his son to Christ and to, and to the disciples. And when the demonic spirit saw Jesus, it convulsed the boy, fell on the ground, and the boy started foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asks a question, how long has this been happening? And the man says, from childhood. And his life has been in danger many times from fire, from water. And any way this demon can harm my son physically, even try to kill him, it has. Can you hear this man's pain? And so the man says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Do you know what? If you could change anything in that script, you would take two words out. Two words that would make all the difference in what this man says. He says to Jesus, but if you can do anything. Do you know what? Wouldn't it be great if you could take out the but if? And all this man said was, you can do anything. And what Jesus does, he latches on to the but if, because what the but if does, it reveals a heart of doubt. It reveals that this man is wrestling with, can you really do anything, uh, Jesus? Can you really help him? And, uh, and it reveals a heart of doubt. So what Jesus does, as I said, he latches on to, to those two words and says, if I can, and Jesus is basically saying, do you doubt me? Don't you believe and then he says, all things are possible for them who believe. And what Jesus is saying is this. Understand this. It is not, uh, the problem here is not my ability in the power to heal. It's, you, it's in your ability to believe. This is not only being said to the Father that is there, 
but also to the disciples. And what Jesus is saying is he's trying to teach them, understand this, God can do anything. God can do anything. So the man goes on to say, I believe, help my unbelief. And you know what I would have probably said to him? Is you know what, do you believe or don't you believe? Make up your mind. Either believe or don't believe that Jesus can heal. Which one is it? Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to believe and not believe at the same time? Is it possible to believe and to not believe at the same time? What do you think? Just raise your hand if you're watching this, if you think you can do both at once. Guilty is charged. Listen, sometimes we can make professions of things that we believe, or we can come to church, or we can sing along on the video online uh, as we watch it on Sunday mornings, and we can make these great professions of faith through song, through testimony, through you know, what we affirm, but then secretly, inwardly, we say, listen, you know what, actually the truth is we're really, we're really struggling with belief. In fact, there's a lot of doubt in our heart, even right now. I want you to understand, what this guy does is he publicly expresses his doubts. He publicly professes his doubts. And as he does, it's so helpful, isn't it? Because what this guy does is he publicly professes his doubts to the one who can help him with his doubts, and that is to the Lord himself. You know what? If you have doubts, take them to the Lord. He's the one who's going to help you more than any other with the doubts that you have in your heart. This guy took his doubts to the right place. I want you to understand, it's okay to have doubts, but let's ask God to help us with our doubts. Understand this. Jesus wasn't addressing only this man's doubts but he was also addressing the doubts of his disciples. We're going to go on to paragraph number three, but let me ask you, are you awake? Are you still tracking with me? We're getting close to the end. It's very important what Jesus is about to say. Paragraph number three, Mark chapter, tw- Mark chapter nine, verses 25 to 29. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. A couple comments. First of all, put yourself in the position of Jesus. Jesus sees the situation and the scripture says that he is filled with compassion. 
And the word compassion there, it's a word that's often used to describe Jesus. That Jesus oftentimes in the Gospels, it says that he is filled with compassion. And compassion is this inward upsurging of emotion and desire and something changing within his spirit. And this is often the response of Jesus to so many situations. Jesus' heart is broken, but I want you to understand, when Jesus is moved to compassion, it also moves him to action. It isn't empty empathy, but it is compassionate, uh, uh, filling uh, of, of, of desire to help, and Jesus moves into action. The second thing I want you to observe is to put yourself in a position of the disciples. They were probably saying to themselves, why couldn't we cast out this demon? Like, what was going on here? I'm going to mention a little more about that in a minute. But they were probably wondering, what, what happened? And then lastly, put yourself in the position of this man with his boy. He lacks faith. But you know what? We cut him some slack, don't we? Because we see how distraught and how disturbed and how emotionally drained this guy is. I mean, he's been living on eggshells for years, trying to guard the life, the very life of his son that is possessed by a demon that is trying to destroy him, kill him, and hurt him. He had no hope but for the disciples and for Jesus. And you know what? The disciples, it didn't work. Then the father sees Jesus cast out the demon and the, son, and the son's body goes limp. And perhaps the father said to himself, along with the crowd, maybe he is dead. Maybe this is the end. But Jesus, he reaches down and he lifts up the boy. And I think this entire episode takes place and is recorded for us to answer this one question from the disciples. Lord, why weren't we able to cast out the demon? That's the missing piece. That's the missing ingredient. Here it is. Jesus' answer. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What Jesus is saying is this, God's work cannot be done in man's strength. God's work cannot be done in man's strength. You know, when you read the first seven, eight chapters of the book of Mark, you understand why the disciples are confused. Because they had cast out demons before. In Mark chapter 3, it says they had cast out demons. In Mark chapter 6, it says that they cast out many demons. And I'm sure that they went and they used the exact same uh, uh, methods that, the, that they'd used before. They, they had used the exact same processes, the exact same words, the exact same protocols, the exact same methodologies, and yet nothing happened. Nothing happened. You see, what they failed to do, and it didn't even enter their thinking, was that they failed to pray. And Jesus said, this can only happen through much prayer. Jesus is showing them 
understand this. The power is not in your protocol and it's not in your processes and it's not in your successful syndrome, but the power is in your prayers. That's the missing piece. Understand this. We must pray. We have to pray to see God move in powerful ways. You know, it is good to have processes. It is good to have protocols. It is good to have job descriptions. It is good to have uh, position statements. But I'll tell you what, there are some churches that are so well-machined and well-oiled and so slick in all the things that they do, then they actually take their little church in a box and they will sell it to you. And all you need to do is to take that process take that, that, their protocols, take their, their ingredients, put it together, and you will grow a church. And they've got all the group, all, all the, the church growth methodologies down pat. Frankly, they don't need the Holy Spirit to grow a church. And what Jesus is saying is this. Above everything, above all those things, We need prayer. We need prayer. Let's make some observations. Observation number one is this. Let's pray as we face life's greatest challenges. Let's pray as we face life's greatest challenges. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you come up to a situation that's just a huge challenge? What do you do? Is is it your first response to pray? Or like the disciples, maybe it doesn't even enter into your head. For them, that was the missing piece. You cannot do the work of God in human strength. We must pray. So let me ask you something. What are you facing right now? What are you facing right now? And do you know what? The best thing that you can do is to pray. Not the last thing. Not the forgotten thing. Not the thing that, that you know, gets put way back on the burner. The best thing that you can do when facing life's challenges is to pray. The second observation we want to make is this. Is we pray to demonstrate the love of God. Pray to demonstrate the love of God. You see, this is a story about a father who is so burdened for the needs of his son that he brings him to the Lord. And what is it that motivates him to do that? To bring him to God? It's love. It's love. And I will tell you, when you bring someone to the Lord in prayer, it is a demonstration of the love and the grace of God towards that person. And when you pray, it is an act of love. And when you seek God on behalf of someone else in a time of great need, it is just a visible demonstration of God's love. Listen, 
Prayer should not be our last resort, but it should be our first response. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, you know, you hear someone's story or someone's difficulty, and you hear them say, well, you know what? You know, I don't really know what I can do for you, but at least I can pray. Understand this. The most we can do for people is to pray. The best thing we can do for people is to pray. You see, prayer shouldn't be our last resort. Prayer should be our first response. You know, over, over the years, I've, I've been involved with many prayer meetings and prayed for many people in many kinds of different situations, all kinds of situations, all kinds of times. And, and, uh, and let me tell you a little bit about what I found when we pray. You know, when we pray, and sometimes we pray for healing, and sometimes we pray for deliverance, and sometimes we pray for reconciliation of relationships, or, or, or rec- sometimes we pray for, you know, financial situations, or whatever it might be, or someone's health. Um, it doesn't always turn out the same way. And sometimes when we pray, people even die. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that God always heals. And over the years, I've seen God respond in three different ways to our prayers. One is that God, one way God responds is that he heals instantaneously and immediately and completely. And I've seen that over and over and over again. I mean, I remember being at a party one night where the host had a sick dog, just a little dog, and kind of carrying it around and and feeling really terrible. And this is a real dog lover, pet lover, animal lover, and carrying this dog around. I remember I was just chatting there with a fellow from our church who's just actually this fall or this, uh, uh, yeah, this summer fall going to be with Jesus. His name is Bernie Hocko, and I remember Bernie and I, you know, we're standing there chatting away at this party, and this woman walks by with her dog, and he puts his hand on the dog's head, and he just says, be healed in Jesus' name. Well, she takes the dog into the bedroom. Fifteen minutes later, this dog that could barely move, so lethargic, is dancing and prancing around, you know, like a puppy, completely healed, completely changed in its demeanor and its activity. And I remember the next day I went to someone's house and it was someone who had not trusted Christ as Savior, someone who had been at the party the night before. And uh, this person said to me, hey, I saw what you and Bernie did. I saw, you know, him put his hand on that dog and pray for that dog to be healed. And I thought to myself, oh no, here it comes. And that person said to me, you know, if God loves that dog so much that that dog would be healed... I will give my life to Jesus Christ and accept him as my Lord and Savior. Not what I was expecting. And what happened was a supernatural spiritual healing that morning as we prayed together and that person received Christ as Savior. And a healing happened that made the heavens rejoice. Sometimes I've seen God 
heal instantaneously and completely. Sometimes I've seen God heal um, uh, through prayer, through the medical system, and over time. And uh, there was a, a, a while ago, a few years ago, we had a young man attending the church, and he had a tumor in his brain the size of a grapefruit, and it, it was huge. I mean, just huge. He was a teenage boy. And he, it was such a size and in such a place that the doctor said it was inoperable. So this was a very, very desperate situation. So our church gathered to pray, and we gathered to pray one night, and while we were praying, a couple things happened. One of the things that happened was, um, you know, as we were praying, like we were really going after God. We were just praying like crazy. A guy came up to me and he said, I just received a word from God that this young lad would be healed through two things, through prayer and through the medical system. And, uh, and I'd never heard that, kind of, that word before. But he said, God is going to heal this young man that way. And then another person got this family on the phone whose son had the uh, brain tumor and put the phone up uh, uh, for the family to hear the prayers of the church that were going on throughout the building. And I mean, we were going after God. People were yelling. People were crying out to God. People were really going after God in prayer. It was actually beautiful. And as people were crying out to God, the family on the phone was listening, crying in appreciation for all the prayers that were going up to heaven. The next day, this young man went to the hospital in order to have another scan to see where things were at. Just an update. The doctors were shocked to find out that the tumor had shrunk so small and had come away from the place where it was so dangerous that they couldn't operate that that day he was rushed into emergency surgery and that tumor was removed. And a few months later, on Christmas Eve, on stage, on stage, this young man was a drummer. His, his sister played the electric guitar. That Christmas Eve on stage, those two got up and they did a Christmas carol in a hard rock version so loud, I have never heard anything like it in the history of Milton Bible Church, either before or since. But there were people who had come to that service and do you know what they said? There's the boy that God healed. There is the boy that God healed. You know, sometimes in answer to our prayers, I've seen God heal through uh, our prayer, through the medical system, and sometimes over time. And the last way that I've seen God heal through the years is when God takes someone home to be with him forever. When God heals them ultimately, and they are ushered into the presence of God. And it's just as if God says, okay, listen, I want you with me now. I hear the prayers, but no, I want you with me. And they're ushered into the presence of God. Do you know, I will never understand how God determines how he will heal. I often pray like in this scenario, you know, with this demon-possessed boy. I, I, I always pray for immediate and complete healing, you know, right away. But God has taught me so much from both the other methods that he heals. 
you know, through the medical system and the combination of our prayers, and through sometimes the suffering of the saints, and through them being taken home, and to be ushered into the presence of God, I've learned so much about God through those things as well. Here's the lesson that teach that that Jesus is teaching his disciples both then and now. If you want to understand and see me clearly and see the kingdom of God go forward, you must pray. You must pray. You have to pray. That's what Jesus is showing us. And so what I want to ask you in these closing moments is what is one thing that's on your heart right now What is one thing in your life right now that you would ask God to do? That you would ask God for? That you would ask God to work in such a way that it would demonstrate his power and his kingdom in your life? What is your greatest need? And so what I would invite you to do right now, even in the quiet of this moment, is simply to raise your hands while you're sitting there, while you're watching, and just open your hands to receive from God and just say, Lord, this is my greatest need. At this time, right now in my life, I invite you in and I pray In Jesus' name. Do you know what? It might be for the salvation of a loved one. It might be for the sickness or the health of someone who's desperately in need. It might be right now that during these days of COVID-19, you know, that someone's someone's business is in trouble. And as well, it may be that, um, you know, there are financial issues that are just uh, beginning to drown people. Whatever it is right now, in this moment, let's go to prayer and let's invite the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in to meet this need in our life. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for each one who's just taken the time to listen, who's taken the time to understand, to see you more clearly, and to see what you are about so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go forward in power and to know that our power doesn't come from our processes and our protocols and our programs, but the power of God comes when we bend the knee and when we pray to you and when we invite you into our situations and into our lives. So, Father, we know that you love us. So come and be with us in our time of need, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Now, church, as we go into the valley, 
Let's receive what we need from God and let's bring it to those in need around us. And may the Lord of glory be glorified and may he receive all the honor. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Christmas is not far from now where we'll celebrate the birth of our Savior. And looking forward to those days. God bless you.